Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Hello, and welcome back to Think This Way. This is the podcast of Faith Bible Church. As always, I'm one of the pastor elders here. My name is Bryce. I have with me another pastor elder here, same as last week. It is Dan Geelock. Thank you, Dan, for being here yet again. Well, thank you for having me again. It, o- it always surprises me. <laughs> it shouldn't. You're back by popular demand. Oh, my People lands. beg us. Letters flood in. We have about 10 listeners, and 500 letters make their way here, <laughs> begging for Dan Gilock. I want to thank my family members who have sent that in, and all of the checks that I've sent out. So. It's like a political campaign. <laughs> You're winning. But I did think in starting this podcast, since I quoted the fruit of the Spirit, I should have warned you ahead of time and had you bring us, I'm sure you know a song on the fruit of the Spirit, probably. I certainly do. <laughs> and now you're going to all be just delighted because I'm not going to sing. <laughs> it's funny because right now with my young children, so I've got a song that has the fruit of the spirit that I learned when I was in California. So I must have been middle school or probably elementary school. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, faith. Is that Not one? that one. No, no it's wow. a different one. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. And then what's funny is, so, uh, I, I don't think I could find that one on Spotify because as I drive my kids to school, I was like, we we're going to try to go through the fruit of the Spirit. That Coco Melon. Huh? <laughs> no, <laughs> instead we found, I don't know even who it is, some random fruit of the Spirit. And it unfortunately is the one that they've come to love. And it's kind of a sillier one. And it's just like, fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut. <laughs> and then eventually it gets to, but the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, God. Uh, let's so. hope it's not a durian. That's all I can say. <laughs> Well, it just goes through all the fruits, and uh, anyways, hopefully you have a song that you use for the fruit of the Spirit yourself, or some other mnemonic to remember, because these are incredibly important, especially this quarter, because we are talking about personal holiness, and it was not by any planning of ours that this pretty closely lines up with preaching through the fruit of the Spirit, which will have taken place just a bit before this airs. I was oh. going to say, for those of you who are <laughs> don't have a church home, come this coming Sunday, which is before this podcast. <laughs> if you can time travel somehow, ooh, <laughs> I guess you could listen online, huh? That's right. All right, that's fine. But, but uh, it still pretty closely lines up, the fruit of the Spirit. And it's important because this quarter, as a church, we're thinking of personal holiness. And what better description of what it looks like? to be holy than the fruit of the Spirit. Today we're looking at actually the last of three whys of personal holiness. We looked at three whats. What is personal holiness? Then we moved on. We've had two episodes on why you should be holy. Today we're looking at the last of the whys. Next week we'll begin on really all the rest of the podcast episodes this quarter on how to actually be holy. But today on the why you should be holy question, The answer, drawn from the fruit of the Spirit, as you'll see, is you should strive to be holy because holiness is happiness. That's my hot take, and we'll talk about that. Actually, the first time I thought about this concept in any depth was when I came across a quote by 
the revered Reverend Charles Spurgeon, my hero in the faith. I cannot now find this quote, although Dan told me he did some digging and may have found it. I remember the quote to be something like this. If I had to choose between holiness and happiness, I would choose holiness, but I don't have to choose. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly right. Spurgeon, in his sermon, God's Grace to You, said, I would sooner be holy than happy if the two things could be divorced. Were it possible for a man always to sorrow and yet to be pure, I would choose the sorrow if I might win the purity for to be free from the power of sin, to be made to love holiness, is true happiness. I'm pretty sure that's the quote I'm thinking of. I can't say that for sure. Spurgeon wrote so much, but I'm pretty sure that's it, where he said he would choose holiness if the two could be divorced, meaning holiness and happiness are not divorced. They are closely related. So that got me thinking, though, in what way are they related? What is this close relationship? Because often when I think of holiness and even growing in personal holiness, I don't think about happiness. I think about Agony, pain, killing sin, warfare, self-denial, not equivalence of happiness. So that got me thinking about that relationship. And I found an article more recently in preparing this, actually, from Randy Alcorn, where he's talking about this relationship between holiness and happiness. And he says it's very common to hear in preaching something like, God wants you to be holy, not happy. And Alcorn says he even preached that before. So there's a sense in which there's some truth to that. But, but listen to what Randy Alcorn says about that. Quote, I was attempting to oppose our human tendency to put preferences and convenience before obedience to Christ. It all sounded so spiritual. And I could quote countless authors and preachers who agreed with me. I'm now convinced we were all dead wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's his hot take. <laughs> and he goes in to talk about the relationship between holiness and happiness. So I thought I'd just throw that question over to you, Dan. Do we have to choose between holiness and happiness? Well, it strikes me about, you know, the answer that was given to another question, which is, do we need to reconcile friends? Mm. Isn't, isn't it really a false dichotomy? The question supposes that they are mutually exclusive. God's word knows of no such premise. Psalm 144, verse 15, How blessed, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. The Beatitudes expand upon the happiness, the joys, the promises of those who have been set apart by God. These six blessings summarize what is meant for the ones who will be welcome into the joy of the Lord and live forever under the kingdom, the heavenly rule of God, the pure in heart will see God. They will reflect God's mercy and receive God's mercy. They will display their family resemblance and be recognized as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Their mourning and fight against sin will be rewarded with an incomparable comfort. And when they reject the inadequate pleasures and rewards of the world, they will later inherit all things. And the ones who hunger, thirst, and strive for righteousness will be given ultimate, alien, and life-saving righteousness. How can we be sad in light of that? See, and that makes so much sense to me. So here's a follow-up question then that would enter into my mind 
as I try to undo my own happiness, I guess. <laughs> but this is a thought that would enter in my mind. If holiness and happiness are so closely related, then why are so many faithful, godly Christians so unhappy or so sad? Well, um, I think that's a, that's a very fair question. And I, I can remember a time in my life when I asked that very same question you know, to one of my, the men who was mentoring me. I think, I think there, the Word of God gives us a few solid reasons. First, there is the true and real pain of living in a godless society that's antagonistic to God and his people. Jesus said in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Secondly, there is the presence of remaining and dwelling in persistent sin, which will cause grief in the heart of someone indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which is not a bad thing. Paul described that in Romans chapter 7, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of death? And of course, the remedy is looking to Christ. He also talked about this in his letter to a troubled church in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, there was a sorrow according to the will of God which produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. That's a a wonderful thing. Number three, there's a real-world impact of trials and how being shaped, trained, and exercised is not a pleasant experience. Hebrews 12, 11, all discipline, all shaping, all training for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So we can have joy in knowing that our Heavenly Father is doing this for our good and His glory. And number four, finally, because we know the consequences of unrepentant sin in the lives of others and what that could mean, not only within the church, but for anyone and throughout all eternity. Paul reflects that in Romans 9, where he's grieving and saying, I am telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies within me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. And he's doing that because he knows that the unrepentant nation of Israel, those individuals who do not see Christ as Messiah, will perish. Psalm 119 verse 136 says, My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. So I think that those are four solid reasons why there is real, realistic, and very human, very natural reasons for why Christians can be sad. And really, as Christians, right in line with what you've said, we are called to love others more than anybody else does to love believers, to love unbelievers, to love everybody, literally everyone, neighbor, enemy, everyone. And that love includes within it a genuine, deep desire for the good and the welfare of other people. So to live in a broken world, if you care that much about the welfare of people, then you're going to be sad. I mean, because people are going to, like you said, through their own sins, there's going to be devastating consequences through the sins of others, through natural disaster, through disease. 
So you could just lock your heart up in a box like C.S. Lewis once talked about, mm. and then you wouldn't hurt, but that's not an option as a Christian. And so as a Christian growing in love, there is a sense in which there's going to be more sorrow. And even Jesus, Isaiah 53 had said, would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So on the one hand then, the more we grow in holiness, there's opportunity for sorrows that wouldn't have been there before. And I think that accounts for some of the sadness we see in the most eminent saints, grieving their own sin, grieving the sin around them, grieving suffering because they love God and others. But that's not the end of the story because... Um, the song goes on. The Guilty, song vile, and helpless goes, we, spotless yeah. lamb of God was he. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a savior. What a savior. And even the title of this podcast being Holiness is Happiness, we better say something here to turn things around because we've only said <laughs> holiness is sadness thus far. <laughs> that is not going to work. But you know what? We can turn it around because of Galatians 5. And this really struck me just recently. Galatians 5, 22, 23, the fruit of the Spirit. As we're growing in the fruit of the Spirit, while it's true that growing in love will increase some kinds of sadness because we genuinely care about people suffering and sinning, part of growing includes growing in joy. So someone who is growing in holiness is experiencing a rather incomplete kind of growing if there's not also an increase in joy, as well as an increase in peace. So we've talked about this on a previous podcast. I really think what we're talking about here is that there are some sadnesses that are necessary sadnesses and actually have the potential to increase as we grow in holiness. So if someone is suffering, if you love them, you'll feel grief. The more you love them, the more grief you may feel. Those things, you don't want to get rid of those sadnesses because it's a part of holiness. But some people grow in that without also growing in joy. And I think a piece of the reason for that is because while there are necessary sadnesses and griefs, most Maybe most of our sadness is unnecessary. It is a consequence of our own sin. So growing in joy is... So for someone who's experiencing intense anxiety about their finances, they're so worried, they're miserable. Ah, you know, we do that. Okay, uh, miserable finance. What's going to... If we grew in the holiness of trusting God, then we'd experience a great joy and a great peace in that area. That's an unnecessary sadness that we're feeling. We've got to love other people, can't get rid of that sadness, but there are a lot of kinds of sadness that are really actually a result of a lack of holiness and are not a result of growing in holiness. So, Dan, just to turn this over to you, if someone tends to think of growing in holiness as mainly a painful and unpleasant thing, how would you encourage them to change their thinking on this matter? How do we start thinking of sanctification accurately as something that is beautiful and is joyful and is good and is not just sad? Well, I, I believe it would be best to encourage them to focus on God's loving, gracious, compassionate, empathetic, sympathetic, 
merciful, sovereign plan for our pathway to holiness. I think that the best passage for that would be the one that we've already referred to in Hebrews 12, that all discipline, all chastening, all training, for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Yes, God's love of purity, God's love of his children, God's passion for our conformity to his Son does indeed mean that he does not take pleasure when we stray. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. So I would encourage people to focus on God's big picture. And secondly, uh, we refer to John 16, 33. If sorrow is coming from outside, I would recommend the words of Jesus, where he says that he has overcome the world. Um, I think that that would be uh, the best bomb of Gilead for such an individual. And almost as a concluding proof that what we have said is in fact true, I offer Dan Gilock himself, who is a man who's grown very much in holiness. Many of us look up to you, Dan, as kind of a, a goal in many areas of our life. And you know what we appreciate about you, Dan? You have a lot of joy as is evidenced in the many wonderful jokes and not-so-wonderful jokes that you tell. <laughs> and your Hawaiian I, shirts as well. I, I fear that they're more of the uh, latter than the former. <laughs> but they're just as funny. That's the thing about it. But I think if you look around at saints yourself and many of the godly men I look up to are really not just these dour, down people. Some people by personality lean that way, but I think it's a confusion to think if we grow in holiness... We're not going to be happy because holiness is, or at least is, so closely related to our happiness. You yourself might know many people who claim to be very holy but are just very, very sad. And that might be your own temperament and personality, that you are kind of a sad person by temperament, would be as an unbeliever or as a believer, and you may have come to associate in your mind growth in holiness, personal holiness, with sadness and dourness. Whatever you may have thought before, may God help us all now by his grace to think this way. Mm-hmm.